0: passage for this morning is matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 46 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left then he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed into eternal into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me no drink i was a stranger and you did not come not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick in, and in prison and you did not visit me
1: Good morning. My name is Brian Parks, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder here at Redeemer Church of Dubai. And I'm delighted to come and bring you God's Word this morning. Before I do, I do want to remind you just uh, once again of an announcement that was briefly made earlier, and that is that we will be having a new membership class happen next weekend. Uh, All six sessions that are included in our membership class. Uh, will be held and take place over that weekend. And so on Friday night, June the 13th, from 4 to 7 p.m., there will be sessions then, and then the next morning, Saturday morning, the 14th, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. The class is going to be held at the La Meridian Training Room in Garhoun, and you'll find a map in your bulletin if you'd like to join us. If you would like to join us, Uh, go ahead and fill out the form that's on the back of the bulletin, and you can either take that to the connections table that's out uh, just outside the back doors, uh, there to the back, or you can hand it to one of the ushers. Uh, Attending the membership class doesn't commit you to membership, uh, nor does it guarantee that you'll be admitted into membership, but it does give you a, a chance to meet the staff and the elders of Redeemer Church and learn about our statement of belief and our vision for ministry, and how you can serve in the church as well if you do come into membership. Let me pray for us before we go to God's Word. O oh Lord, You have spoken to us through Your Word, and You will speak to us through Your Word this morning. If only we will have ears to hear. Oh Lord, give us each and every one of us ears to hear amen it's a major feature in the plot of many books and tv shows and movies to tell us stories about when the world changes in an instant when it changes in an instant into something completely different than what we'd experienced the day before sometimes it's nuclear holocaust or it's irreversible climate change. Uh, It could be the spread of a devastating disease or uh, the takeover by a hostile nation that is near us. Even rampaging monsters as tall as skyscrapers, rumbling through the streets, or even an invasion by intergalactic aliens. We will always be fascinated, I think, by how fictional characters deal with events that change life as we know it in a moments time governments even of real countries actually make plans for these kinds of events they they employ people to to sit in rooms on committees and make plans for these kinds of days in fact the u.s. government's department of defense recently drew up official plans to respond to a global zombie attack. (laughs) That's right, you heard me correctly, a zombie attack. That's uh, my tax dollars at work, by the way. (laughs) They thought through how to mobilize the military. They thought through how to protect hospitals and set up command and control centers. Uh, they, they, They thought through how the chain of command would work from the president on down to each and every soldier battling the undead in the streets. They even came up with plans for how to conduct zombie awareness training for the population, for the public. Of course, it, it's, it's all for crisis management training, we hope. We chuckle at things like this. No one thinks it's actually going to happen. But when we, we open the Bible, we see that the idea of a, a day in the future when everything changes isn't fiction after all the Bible says in fact Jesus says himself A day like that is coming and on that day everything will change forever government crisis plans will be useless on that day and you know in the movies and literature its human ingenuity that ensures survival after those particular days of change But on this day that's in the Bible, what happens for you and I on that day is actually determined by what happens on days like today. If you haven't turned already in your Bible or opened up your phone app uh, to Matthew 25, do that with me. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. The theme of the text today can be summarized with this sentence if you're taking notes. It might be helpful to write this down. King Jesus will pass judgment on all people with their responses to his disciples an indicator of their eternal destiny. King Jesus will pass judgment on all people with their responses to his disciples, an indicator of their eternal destiny. And we'll consider three aspects of this passage today. One glorious judge, two kinds of lives, and two eternal destinies. One glorious judge, two kinds of lives, and two eternal destinies first we'll consider one glorious judge the teaching of this teaching of Jesus comes toward the end of his earthly ministry when he has entered Jerusalem and just before he's going to have the last supper with his disciples uh, on the night that he was going to be betrayed and arrested it's the climax in fact of his teaching for his disciples in answer to their question back in chapter 24 verse 3 they'd asked Jesus tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And of all the end time parables that come right before this particular passage, it is the most stunning and sobering description of what the day will be like when Christ returns. The text emphasizes that Jesus, Jesus will return and be glorious. Glory is the physical manifestation of greatness and power and authority. Glory is meant to be seen with our eyes. We encounter glory. Of course, this contrasts with the way that Jesus was revealed in His first coming to earth. His first coming was humble and hidden. He was a suffering servant. But because of his obedience to the Father and his desire to lay down his life as a ransom, to rescue a people for the Father, the glory that was his before the world began was returned to him by the Father after he was resurrected from the dead. Philippians 2, verses 7-11 through says, He, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Jesus with his glory set aside or hidden. But then the verses continue in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The resurrected Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father. And even now, He is glorious. He's robed in glory. He's beautiful and powerful and majestic right now. And on that day, to emphasize His power and authority, the text tells us not only that He's glorious, but that He will come with all His angels. Not just a few angels. Not just one regiment, one battalion, one legion. He will come with all of them. This this is a a picture of a, a massive and glorious army coming to earth, isn't it? Now... You may know that almost always when people in the Bible are described as encountering an angel, one angel, they fall on their faces in fear. Their encounter with a holy creature often makes them instantly aware of how sinful they are, how how small and how powerless they are. But on this day, King Jesus will bring every single one of the angels that have been created by Him and have served Him from before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And they will be there with their King. What? What a fearful and awesome sight this will be. It's it's going to be a day unlike any other because not only is... King Jesus coming in such glory and with such an army. He's also coming as the judge of all mankind. You see, this isn't just a military parade for us to watch and cheer and clap. Some of you may have been to military parades in your in your home country. Rows and rows of soldiers march by. High stepping perhaps. And then there's, there's columns of 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 tanks and artillery that go by and the crowds are cheering and waving. This will be nothing like that. I imagine that on this day, these thousands upon thousands of angels will not march by for show. No, no. They'll be facing the nations. Facing the people. And King Jesus, the judge, will sit on his glorious throne with all the nations gathered before him. You know, this is, this is so similar to how the Messiah is described in that amazing passage that we read earlier in the service from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. Of course, the, the scene that's pictured in that Daniel 7 passage is a courtroom. It says in verse 10, "...the courtroom sat in judgment and the books were opened." And one like a son of man approached and was given all authority and power and dominion. Jesus will come in glory with the entire heavenly host to judge. And in this courtroom stands all the people who have ever lived. They will be on trial. We will be on trial, in fact. Imagine every single person will be there, everyone from world leaders that we read about in history books and who were more used to being bowed down to themselves, they will be there, ranging all the way to people who lived and died in faraway countries in distant times with seemingly no impact on history. It's a vast crowd, billions and billions of people, literally. But but don't you dare think that anyone will be lost in this crowd? No. Because King Jesus, who is the judge, will separate them one from another, it says, doesn't it? One from another. Like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Everyone is known. Everyone is considered. Christian friend, do you think of Jesus as powerful and glorious? When you approach him in prayer, are you remembering that he is a great and glorious king? And he's the coming judge of all people. If we know that he's like this, it will inspire a good and reverent fear in us. A good and reverent fear. And the true vision of him will both make us treasure this privilege that we have of approaching the throne with boldness. Yes, the Scriptures say we should approach with boldness. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that we have this privilege because of His blood shed for us. But seeing Him like this will also help help us bring the matters of utmost importance to Him. Less praying for the best parking spot at the Dubai Mall, more praying for the lost in our workplace. Less praying for good weather at the church picnic. More praying for boldness and courage in the face of persecution. Less praying for good marks on tests and more praying for classmates who are suffering under the ridicule of bullies or experiencing difficult family situations. It's true. It's true. We can cast all our cares on him in prayer. He loves us. He loves us dearly. But let's make sure that we also cast the weightiest of concerns on this great and glorious king who is the judge. You know, I want to encourage you to maybe use the pastoral prayer that we pray in our service as a model for your own prayers. Have you noticed the kinds of things that we pray about? We pray for members of the church with biblical kinds of requests, things lifted straight out of the texts of Scripture. We pray for kings and rulers of these very countries. We pray for them to rule justly. We pray for them to come to Christ. Do you believe that can happen? We pray for... We pray for people groups on the other side of the world who have no gospel witness. We pray for crises going on around the world in different places, and our God hears us because he is great and glorious and powerful. I encourage you, think about how you pray. Think about this glorious king when you come to him. After the people are separated into two groups, we discover that they represent not just the blessed and the cursed, the righteous and the unrighteous, but people who have lived two kinds of lives. That's the second point we're considering this morning in the text. Two kinds of lives. The sheep served a needy group of people called the least of these my brothers, Jesus says. And the goats did not serve that same needy group of people. Jesus says that when they did or they didn't serve those people, they did or they didn't serve him. That's the basis for the judgment that's pronounced. And perhaps most striking is the fact that neither group realized that they were really serving or not serving King Jesus. They didn't realize it at the time. The sheep are surprised that Jesus says they served them during their lives. Uh, When did we do that, they ask. The goats are surprised that Jesus was anywhere near them during their lives. It's, It's as if they're saying, how could we have missed you, Jesus? I mean, look at you, you're glorious. One important question that we need to answer here, of course, is who are the least of these? the brothers of Jesus. Now sometimes this passage is understood to be saying that the least of these is anyone, anywhere who is needy. Anyone, anywhere who is hungry or thirsty or needs clothing or needs shelter or is sick or is in prison. But a closer reading of all of Matthew, I'm convinced, will not allow us to come to that conclusion. First, Jesus only calls his followers, his disciples by the family name of brother or sister. Throughout all the Gospels, he only calls his disciples brothers and sisters. In chapter 23, he tells his disciples that they are brothers one to another. In Matthew chapter 12, when his family comes to get him because they think he's crazy, he's inside of a house teaching, and instead of going out to meet his family no he points to his disciples inside the house and he says here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother and chapter 10 in matthew actually is is particularly helpful for understanding who Jesus is talking about. In chapter 10, Jesus gives instructions to his 12 apostles before he sends them out in pairs to go do the same kind of ministry that he's been doing, casting out demons and healing the sick and proclaiming the word of God. And he tells them that they'll depend on the hosts that they go to for all their physical needs, for any extra clothing, for food, for drink, for shelter. He tells them that they'll be dragged before courts and presumably thrown into prison. And his parting words for them in verse 40 of chapter 10 are, Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. So it's most faithful to the context of Matthew to conclude that the least of these my brothers refers to Jesus' own gospel-bearing disciples, So so the difference between the sheep and the goats is found in how they related to Jesus' own disciples during their lives. For the sheep or the righteous, their acts of kindness and care, their ministry to his people are actually the equivalent of treating King Jesus that very same way. Or, in the case of the goats or the unrighteous, their lack of care, ministry, or acceptance of King Jesus and his disciples is actually the equivalent of rejecting him, the king himself. Now some of you may be sitting here and you may be hearing me say that Christians shouldn't serve the poor and the needy in general. Let me just say really clearly, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. This passage certainly doesn't forbid service to all people. Um, it doesn't bar social action or programs that set out to relieve the needs of the poor. Christians Christians should be generous and compassionate people towards everyone. And Jesus taught us that we should pray for our enemies. So certainly we should he- help needy people wherever we find them. And you know, these kinds of things are happening even in our congregation and in our sister congregations around the city and in the UAE. Um, some of you, I know, uh, gather together and you go into the labor camps here in Dubai, in the surrounding area. And not only do you share the gospel, which is so appropriate, but you also sometimes relieve the, the physical needs or supply physical needs for the workers there. Things they don't have access to very easily. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You should do it. Some of you may know Auntie Joy at the United Christian Church of Dubai, our sister church. Some of you know Auntie Joy. Auntie Joy's been around for a long, long time. And she and a number of others there at UCCD go and they minister regularly to people in prisons here in Dubai. It's amazing that they go and do that. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I want them to keep doing it. Sharing the gospel. Counseling, particularly women, in the prisons here. But among Christians, there should be a priority given to the people of God in our care for others. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us be do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're, we're considered family Christians, that is. So even though we're, we're being kind and loving towards everyone, anyone who doesn't take care of his family, the New Testament says, is worse than an unbeliever. And so that applies to our spiritual family as well. So if there are needs among us, we should look first to meet those needs. Brothers and sisters, Christians... Do you realize that the way that you are treating one another is the way that you're treating Christ? That's one thing that this passage is teaching us. Christ so identifies with his church as a whole and with the individuals in his church that he speaks of the church as if it were himself. What did, what did God, what did Jesus say to Saul when he struck him blind on the road to Damascus? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church. Jesus so identified with the church that he said it was equivalent to persecuting him. Love one another with gentleness and kindness and you love Christ. Care for each other's physical needs and you care for Christ. Stand by one another when persecution comes and you stand by Christ. Give generously so that the pastor's needs here at Redeemer are met and you give to Christ. Christ. You know sometimes, at our elder meetings, we uh, recount to one another about the different ways that we see God at work among you all it it's really it 's really a delightful time it, it brings us great joy, and we praise God for His work among you i mean We, we hear stories often of one family taking food to another family where there 's lots of sickness in the household or or we hear of one member who loans their car to another member uh, when they're in a time of need of transportation. Or, Or we hear of one person who has extra belongings that they don't need, and so they pass it on to someone who needs those belongings and can put them to good use. Or maybe even we hear about times when one member anonymously gives money to another member because they're in a time of deep financial stress. We hear about these things all the time, and we want to continue to hear about them. And give praise to God for what He's doing among you. We urge you, though, do it more and more. Do it more and more. It's one reason why you need to get to know people in the congregation so that you can know how you can serve them. and Serve one another. When you do serve each other, you serve Christ Himself. You know, another application... On the goat side of the picture here, another application that we see from this text is that there are no true Christians that indefinitely reject and distance themselves from the local church. You see, these people who are identified as goats, they never joined with gospel witnessing people. They never joined with them. Maybe, maybe you have extended family members or a friend who claims to be a Christian but refuses to associate with a local church or others who proclaim the gospel. Maybe they say, I don't like organized religion. You could tell them that we're fairly disorganized. They, just, they don't want to come be with us. They think they can be a lone ranger Christian. Don't fool yourself. Share the gospel with this person as often and in as much detail as you can. The likelihood that this person will be condemned on the day of judgment is great. And that's one reason, Redeemer, that you need to be clear and sharp about how to explain the gospel and not assume when people label themselves as a Christian that they are in fact truly regenerate. Please don't assume that. Keep asking questions. Keep sharing the gospel. Clarify what your friends and family actually believe and why they wouldn't come and join with a group of gospel-believing people. Call them to repentance and faith in Christ. We need to answer one other question from this text as well. And that is why the goats didn't do what they didn't do or why the sheep did do what they did do. Why did they do it? The righteous couldn't be doing these things in order to be counted among the righteous. No, it wouldn't be right to conclude that this passage teaches salvation by works. In other words, if they just accumulated enough good deeds that God will see them as righteous on the day of judgment. No, the acts described in this passage are descriptive of how Christians live. They've trusted in Christ and they've become a part of a covenant community. Their acts are evidence of their faith, not the cause of their salvation. Let me say that one more time. Their acts are evidence of their faith, not the cause of their salvation. Just as James in the New Testament teaches us that faith without works is dead, here we see Jesus pointing out the works that prove that these people's faith was alive. You know, even though it's good enough for me to urge you to serve one another and to love one another, to, to lay down your lives for one another. You'll, you'll notice in this passage that the righteous did these things without realizing they were serving Christ or, or even without any sense that these acts would be pointed out on the day of judgment. It's not like they come with their laundry list of good deeds to present to Jesus for why they should be counted as a sheep. There's a, there's a, a certain amount of uh, forgetfulness about the good works that they've done. A person who's received the good news of the kingdom and embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior will grow in good works as God works in them. Serving one another, caring for one another, giving sacrificially to one another, they all begin to come naturally for someone who's encountered the grace of God in Christ. True, effort Striving, pressing forward, this is all language that the New Testament urges Christians to put into practice. This is a part of the process of growing in holiness. But as Philippians 2 verse 13 promises, it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even when we want to do righteous good deeds, it's because God's working in us it's because God's working in us and we should praise Him for that. The two kinds of lives that are described in this passage will inevitably result in two eternal destinies. And that's our third point this morning. Two eternal destinies are described, only two. They're summarized in verse 46. And these, the cursed, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, in the the verses above 46, these destinies are further explained. The sheep or the righteous are considered blessed, and they're called to come to the Father. They're considered inheritors, or by implication, sons and daughters of the Father. They inherit, in fact, a kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and it's called eternal life. Life. The goats, they're, they're described as cursed. And they're told to depart from the king's presence. And they're sent to an eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And they go away into eternal punishment. The two destinies could not be more different. They are polar opposites. I get the opportunity to work with university students through our company business. And uh, I sat with a group of students recently... This was over a lunch. We were discussing a passage from the Gospel of Mark together. Uh, They loved talking about it. Uh, They like Jesus. Uh, He's powerful. He's compassionate. They see that. They're eager to dive in, to learn about Him. But when the discussion closed, I asked the Hindus and the Muslims who had joined in with, with us for this discussion about what they really believed about Jesus. I wanted to probe a bit deeper the Hindu students, they, they love Jesus. He's a, another God, though, like the other gods. The Muslim students, they love Jesus. He's, he's a wonderful prophet, like the other prophets. And I, I gently press them about how that can be, how they can really believe these things. And, and what about what we believe about the Bible and what it teaches and they said, we, we all have different conceptions of God, Brian, but we, we're worshiping him in different ways. How do you know, I asked. How do you know? I, I mean, you, the Muslim, you say that God is one. You say that Jesus is not God. I, I see that Jesus is saying that he's God. You, the Hindu, you say that there are many gods. And Jesus is just one among many, but Jesus says, I am the only true God. Listen, we can't all be right about God if our ideas about God conflict in fundamental ways. And if our ideas about God are radically different, how can we be sure about our ultimate destiny? What would lead you to believe that we're all going to end up in the same happy place? This teaching, this teaching by Jesus, it rules out the possibility that all will go to heaven as long as they worship some kind of God. That belief is it's so prevalent here in the UAE, isn't it? It's actually prevalent in many, many places in the world. Jesus makes it clear that the consequences of what we believe and how we live in this life have a direct bearing on where we will spend eternity. Some will spend it in eternal life. And some will spend it in eternal punishment. And people will be surprised on that day. Friend, if you are here and you have not received the good news with joy and belief and trust, I urge you to do so now. Do it today. Welcome the message of the gospel. Serve and receive those who share the gospel with you. King Jesus is present even now through them and even now through me as I urge you to trust in Him. The consequences of your response to them and to Him are of the utmost importance. Members of Redeemer, Love one another with abandon. Give yourselves away. You have a Father in heaven who has prepared a place for you, a kingdom from before the foundations of the world were laid, and it is far, far better than anything that you have now or could have now in this life. So share it with one another. This day is coming. And sometimes when I'm driving down Sheikh Zayed Road and I look up at all the tall buildings with one eye on the road, <laughs> and I, I see the Burj Khalifa, and, you know, and it's sprouting up, it, it's, it's so tall in and amongst all the other really tall buildings on Sheikh Zayed, and, and I, I think, and I wonder, I think I use the imagination, I think this is one reason why God gives us an imagination, I I, I try to imagine what will it be like on that day when He comes? This glorious King with all His glorious angels. Suddenly the end will come and it will be that day and nothing else will matter on that day. Trying to rush to wherever I'm trying to get to won't matter on that day. How much money you have will not matter on that day. Whether your job is secure Whether you're married or single, whether you're sick or in good health, whether you got that next promotion or not, who's president of this nation or that nation, what's happening in the world in some ways will not matter. On that day, you can't change the outcome, you can't bargain for a different destiny. The time is now. Jesus has come once already. He, he performed miracles that the world has never seen duplicated before. He, he made claims about himself that the world has never heard again. He claimed to be God. He suffered and was crucified, though clearly he was a righteous man. And then he rose again. And over 500 people saw him and spoke with him and were commissioned by him. They were commissioned to go out and proclaim him and his good news, the good news of his kingdom. And they went out, and you know what? They explained that they had come, that he had come, rather, to solve the greatest problem that mankind has ever faced. In fact, it's, it's really the only problem that mankind has ever faced So hunger, war, corruption, violence, hatred, all these problems pale in comparison. In fact, this problem that Jesus came to solve is the root of all those problems and all that evil. It's the sin and the rebellion of mankind against a righteous and holy God. It's the sin and rebellion of, of people like you and me he came to take it on himself the wrath and the punishment that rebels deserve but all who turn away from their sin and trust in him will be spared that punishment they'll be counted with the sheep and it won't be it won't be any works that merit that reward that they get. No, no. It'll ultimately be the work that he did for them when he died on the cross and he rose again. They'll inherit the kingdom of their father and all who reject him and his people will go away into eternal punishment. Friend, if you're here and you've not repented and given your life to Christ, now is the time. There will be no time on that day Church, love one another sacrificially, and when you do, you love Jesus. Commend the gospel with your words and your actions, and tell the good news of Christ to everyone and anyone who will listen, so that the family of God increases and more and more brothers and sisters are added to our numbers worldwide. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. The glorious King will return as judge, he will separate all people. Into those who live two different kinds of lives, and there will only be two possible destinies for anyone. Let's pray. O oh, great and glorious King Jesus, you who are the rightful judge, we praise you that you have told us these things in advance. We have been warned. We are not uninformed. Oh Lord, will you open the eyes of all who hear your gospel to this truth of who you are and how they can be saved and the great and glorious future that awaits them. In Christ's name, amen.